Welcome into a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown, coming to you from Blue Wire Studios inside the win Las Vegas. And today I am tasked with arguably one of the most difficult jobs that we have in the world of golf, and that is fixing the FedEx Cup playoffs. That's right. We are now entering the three-week stretch of golf in which the champion of the tour? Is that really the best way to put it, considering we have something called the Tour Championship? This is one of the problems. We're going to decide who the best PGA Tour player is, or at least who had the best season. We're going to decide our champion, and unfortunately, I'm not sure a lot of people care about it. There, there's a lot going on. You know, there's such a unique situation in golf where our playoffs, our largest events, live outside the regular season, and they live outside the regular PGA Tour. I'm referring to the major championships four times a year where all eyes turn towards golf and we crown our our victors at courses that we've been talking about for five or more years, getting prepared for this. There's a, a natural culmination of major championships. And arguably, not even arguably, those are much more important than whoever is going to be crowned the PGA Tours FedEx Cup champion. There's really no other sport where this happens. Could you imagine if instead of a Super Bowl, uh, we had four mini championships in week four, week eight, week 12, and week, week 16, and then at the end of the year, the NFL wanted you to tune into the Pro Bowl and then say, yeah, yeah, th this is the best team. Th these are the best guys determined by the Pro Bowl. That's essentially what we're asking of golf fans, and it's obviously not working. The current FedEx Cup, which has been around for basically 15 years, there's been a couple of variations of it, hasn't seemed to catch on at all, right? I mean, you could argue, uh, asking a casual sports fan who won the U.S. Open in 2019 or the Masters in 2016, you're probably going to get more accurate and correct answers than if you were to ask who won the FedEx Cup last year. Do you remember? It's Patrick Cantlay. Yeah, it's kind of easy to forget. And if he didn't win the BMW Championship and then win the Tour Championship in the following week, you'd probably forget altogether. Um, but because he goes back-to-back, -back, it makes it a little bit easier to remember. So the current system, the way that it's set up, which we're going to go into next week. The top 125 golfers in the FedEx Cup points are going to Memphis to play the first leg of the playoffs. This used to be four legs of the playoffs. It used to be three playoff events and then the Tour Championship. It's now down to just two initial playoff events and a Tour Championship. The reason for that, uh, the PGA Tour trying to make every event matter, right? If you, if you just reduce the number of events... In theory, naturally, each one of them is more important. That's the idea. So two legs. We're going to start with 125 in Memphis. We're going to go to 70. The top 70 will move on to Wilmington for the BMW Championship. And then the top 30, after that week, are going to go to the Tour Championship. And the Tour Championship is its own problem, right? You're down to 30 golfers. You're at Eastlake. How do you best determine who these who is going to be the champion of these 30 golfers? And common sense would say just play a stroke play event between these 30 guys and whoever wins 
wins it all. Well, the PGA Tour doesn't like to do that because all the hard work that golfers put in throughout the regular season and throughout the year kind of goes away if you are not incentivized to be first in the FedEx Cup standings going into Eastlake or whether you are 30th in the FedEx Cup standings. So there needs to be an incentive system to be as highly ranked as possible. And when the FedEx Cup playoffs first began, uh, that incentive was FedEx Cup points. And then basically they would kind of manipulate and rig the scoring system to the point where if you were inside the top five of the FedEx Cup standings going into the Tour Championship, you were technically able to win the Tour Championship and win the FedEx Cup playoffs, win the FedEx Cup. You would be able to earn way more points than anybody who could catch you, anybody who could finish second or third or any combination. You controlled your own destiny. And I get the theory of that, right? There's a high, there's a big incentive to be inside the top five. If you weren't inside the top five, there were still a lot of paths for you to get there, right? They were just much, much, much less likely. The guy who starts 29th has to win and get a lot of help from basically everybody else in the field for him to even move up into contention. The other problem with it was it's all based off of your magical FedEx Cup point calculation that no one knows or really cares about. Well, that doesn't align with what's going on on the golf course. You know, what's a birdie worth? Uh, a, a birdie in a regular event, that, that's worth one under. We, like, we know what the inherent value of that is. Um, what is a birdie worth in the FedEx Cup calculations? Nobody has any idea. So the broadcast at the tour would spend all this time and energy during the tour championship to have someone out there giving you all the calculations. And it created a very confusing system where you had golf taking place on the golf course and someone in the booth or someone elsewhere telling you who's actually winning. Doesn't really jive all that well. It makes the viewing experience horrible. The players don't always necessarily know where they are. And it creates a situation where you have a very anticlimactic finish most years, right? Because you could have someone who wins the tour championship and a different golfer be the FedEx Cup champ. Remember when Tiger won the tour championship and they followed him up, uh, him and Rory, the final group up the 18th uh, fairway at Eastlake. And it was this amazing moment and Tiger uh, taps it in and, and wins the tour championship. You know who won the FedEx Cup that year? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Uh, I think it was Justin Rose. Pretty sure he had finished a couple groups earlier. All the drama was taken out of the event. All the drama was taken out of the PGA Tours crown jewel. The thing that they put more money towards than anything else, basically. Uh, the FedEx Cup. The thing that they create points for all year long was removed because you had this horrible scoring system. So what they opted to do a couple of years ago um, was to create what we have now, which is the staggered start for the Tour Championship. Admittedly, I'm not a fan of the staggered start. I've got a couple of options that are um, hopefully better, but this is a massive improvement over the point system. The point system was horrible. Everyone knew it. The staggered start a little bit better because what that does is based on your standings going into the final 30, going into the tour championship, you are assigned starting strokes. So whoever goes... Uh, to the number one spot in the FedEx Cup playoffs heading into the final event. We'll start that event at 10 under. Second place will start at 8 under par, then 7 under, 6 under, 
five under, so on and so forth for 30 golfers. And this is a lot more tangible, right? So when you start the, once the event starts, everyone is already at a score. And you're like, okay, this is easy to follow. You no longer have a situation where your tour champion, the winner of the tour championship, is going to be separate from your FedEx Cup champ. It's not going to happen anymore. Uh, it also still has the problems of the guy who starts at even par or one under or even two under have really no chance of winning it, right? It would take a, a, an unbelievably heroic week and all the guys at the top would have to struggle for someone to make up 10 shots on the best players in the world over the course of four rounds. So you still really only focus on four or five golfers. I think when Rory won it, he started a couple of years ago, he started at five under par, which coming back from five strokes is still a massive feat over four rounds when you're playing up against the best players in the world. But we do at least have a situation that is a little bit better. Um, how can we continue to improve this? So we have to kind of zoom out and say, what are our goals and our objectives? Well, our goal is to reward the golfer who has been the best on tour that season. I think we agree on that. Um, the goal of the Super Bowl is to determine who the best team that year is. The goal for the NBA Finals, same thing. Who was the best team in that year? So if our goal is to find out who the best golfer is for that season, for that year, we need to keep that in mind. Other things that we need to consider, um, we want it to probably be exciting, right? We want it to be a good viewing experience, and we want to make sure that both the players and the fans know what the heck is going on, right? Who's actually leading who, who needs to make up a couple of shots, and when it's all said and done, who the champion is. There's no question when at the Super Bowl, the clock ticks to 0-0-0 of the fourth quarter who the Super Bowl champion is. There's no question, right? We don't have to check the calculations on that. It's, it's inherently known. So that's what we've got to figure out. You'll hear... A lot of different things pitched over the course of uh, the next couple of days and weeks because we are now entering this portion of the schedule. And I think for um, casual golf fans, the FedEx Cup is fine. For kind of some of the more hardcore fans, or if you're on Twitter, they hate it. I'm probably more lukewarm than a lot of those people. And you're going to hear about uh, match play a lot. I like the idea of determining who the champion is via match play. Um, there are problems with it, which we'll get to in a second. But the idea that you might hear, for example, is, you know, to play the first couple of events where you go down from, you know, 125 to 70 to 30, which, by the way, next year is getting even smaller. Next year, we're going from 70 to 50 to 30. So only 70 golfers are going to make the first leg of the playoffs, which gives us more options, by the way, gives us a lot more options. Um, you'll hear things like, hey, when you get down to 16, let them play each other in match play. 16 plays down to eight, eight plays down to four, four plays down to two, two plays down to one. So to go from 16 to one, eight, four, two, one, you only need four rounds. So in theory, if you changed it where the tour championship, they got to East like four rounds, four rounds, you could go from 16 to one. Uh, now, if you wanted to get a little freaky and play five rounds at the tour championship, what you could do is you could go from 32 yeah, everybody loves a good bracket. Everybody loves a good 32 to 16 to 8 to 4 to 2 to 1. Everybody loves that. Uh, you could let 32 get to the Tour Championship. 
number one seed plays number 32 seed. Number two plays 31. Number three plays 30, so on and so forth until we crown our champion. Um, the good news for that, very exciting. Everybody loves a bracket. Janice in accounting loves a bracket, right? Once a year, you give her a bracket, she fills it out, she loves it. Um, same thing here. The drama would be awesome. The arguments against it, you could have your number one seed get bounced in the first round. Are, are we okay with that? Are we okay with our number one seed, you know, likely Scotty Scheffler, getting bounced by Chez Reevy in the opening round? Uh, we have to be okay with that. If you look at the match play event that we have earlier in the year, you can get some wonky champions. Kevin Kisner, Billy Horschel, right? Um, you know, Bubba's won the match play. Jason Day's won it a couple times. We're, like, it's a mixed bag. Are we going to be okay crowning our champ, Chez Reevy? Crowning our champ, Kevin Kisner? I think common sense says no. That's where this, that's where this plan starts to fall apart. Um, it would become an even bigger joke if golfer ranked 40th in the world and 32nd on the PGA Tour becomes your becomes your champ. It's going to be tough. Um, I could argue, I don't even care about those guys getting bounced in the first round. How many times did Peyton Manning get bounced in the first round, right? It's part of the game. It sucks. You know, you could argue that's that's part of it. Um, so maybe 32 is too many golfers. Maybe you only go to match play when you get down to 16 or 8 or 4. The other problem with that is we played all season long in stroke play, and now we're going to determine our biggest prize the most money we give out this year, $18 million. And next year, I think it's going to 20 in a format that we don't play all year long. That would be like getting to the NBA Finals and, and instead of playing a, a four-quarter game, you do a three-point contest or a dunk contest or some other, or maybe you go play three-on-three. Three. I don't know, right? Like, it's just not what you've done all season long. So as much as I would love to see this, oh, the other thing is, it's a pretty bad viewing experience on television, right? You can't you can't necessarily expect all the infrastructure and people to show up and potentially only see eight, four, and two golfers on the course at the same time. It makes the telecast even more difficult. So as much as I love the idea of match play, this thing falls apart basically everywhere. Um, you you are maybe unlikely to get the best champion. It's not a good viewing experience, and you're playing a different format than you've been playing in the vast majority of rounds all year long. It's three strikes. You're out, right? We can't, I don't think we can do match play. I'd love it. I want more match play. Can't do it. Can't do it to crown our champion. My idea uh, is kind of go the opposite route. I don't like the staggered start. There's, there's 25 guys in the tour championship that almost certainly are not going to win. Um, it's just too hard to come back from. However, we do want to incentivize those who finished first, second, third, fourth, and fifth from those who finished 25th to 30th. Uh, we also do want to create a situation in which there's a lot of golf happening and that the cream should rise to the top. Here's my pitch. So starting next year, we're going to go to 70 golfers for the first leg of the playoffs, we're going to cut it down to 50. Then we're going to cut it down to 30. The way that we cut them down is not necessarily based on their performance in the first leg of the playoffs. So that means 
when you get into the playoffs, it's not, it's still not a clean slate, right? The top 70 aren't going to play an event and the top 50 finishers are going to move on. No, no, no. It means we're going to play an event of 70 and the top 50 in the FedEx Cup points are going to move on, which is why what Scotty Scheffler has done to this point, what Cam Smith has done to this point is so critical because even if they have bad rounds or bad weeks in the opening legs of the playoffs, they're certainly still going to be at the tour championship. I don't love this, but I think it's necessary. If you don't do this and if you clean slate it at the beginning of the playoffs, you lose out on all your incentive to be the number one guy going into the playoffs. You, lo you lose all of that. Um, so unfortunately, with the way that this is structured, we probably still have to keep that methodology of going from 70 to 50 to 30. It still needs to be FedEx Cup points. Do they need to be tweaked? Different conversation. So I'm okay with that. So we're going to go 70, 50, 30. Here's what I want to do. Turn this into one big event, right? The, these three events, stroke play, no cut, let's go cumulative, right? So there, there is going to be a cut in, in Memphis this year, this upcoming week. We're going to go, we're going to go from 125 and we're going to make a cut. Next year, there's not going to be a cut on 70. So this, this starts to work out a lot better next year. Cumulative score. So whatever you score in the first leg of the playoffs, if you have enough FedEx Cup points to advance to the 50, your score keeps going, right? You start the next week, eight under, nine under, whatever you were. If you were eight under in leg one of the playoffs and you did not earn enough FedEx Cup points to move on, sorry, stinks. It's the rules. We got to incentivize these guys for season-long attributes. The second leg of the playoffs, BMW Championship. Well, now, now we've had three extra days of breaking down the playoff scenarios. Now we look at this and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Scotty Scheffler, who was the number one golfer coming into the FedEx Cup playoffs, he's already locked up his spots, but he's got 10 strokes to make up. Well, 10 strokes to make up over eight rounds is a lot better than 10 strokes to make up over four rounds, right? So now we've got built-in storylines. We've got built-in standings. We are giving literally everybody who makes the playoffs a chance to win. But beating everyone else in the course of 216 holes is going to prove a winner, right? It's going to prove you were deserving. So if Ches Reevy, in my format, if Ches Reevy wins, he will have beaten every other golfer in the playoffs, over 216 holes, he would be very well deserving of that. There would be no argument against it. Not he just got lucky in match play or he had an easy path or anything like that. He would be well deserving of his FedEx Cup championship. So after leg two, we continue to accumulate these scores all via par to Eastlake. And now Eastlake, which is already a staggered start in the current version of the FedEx Cup, is still a staggered start, yet it is based on your performance in the first two legs. I'm brilliant. I just fixed the whole thing, right? Wouldn't this be a lot better to watch? There's obviously still issues with it. But wouldn't you rather, realistically, anybody who makes the playoffs have a chance to win? Uh, that's what my system gives you a little bit more than what the current system does. You know, We've seen, it doesn't happen often, I think we've seen it in hockey, an eight seed can win it all, right? You just got to get in. Baseball, you just got to get in. You got to get into the tournament. You get hot at the right time, you can make a run at it, but realistically, 
over 216 holes, as we've seen, the cream is going to rise to the top. And the guys, even if they struggle out of the gate, like if Scotty Scheffler struggles out of the gate in, in week one of the playoffs, he's still going to have an opportunity because all the good work he put in in the regular season has locked up his spot for the Tour Championship. This makes sense to me. And I love this. And it also creates a situation where we know who the winner is going to be. You have 30 golfers when you get to the Tour Championship on the course for all four rounds. You don't have to worry about broadcasting anything differently. This, this is how you do it. This is the path to creating a playoff system that rewards season-long greatness and playoff greatness getting hot at the right time. There's going to be a lot of other things that you hear over the course of the week. Some will be good. Some will, will not be good. But that's my current proposal. Let me know if you can beat it. Um, there's already a couple of improvements that I'd like, but we got to be a little realistic here. I'd, bl I'd blow the whole thing up if I could. That's not going to happen next year. But for, it is what it is. The other dilemma, and this is to me such a big issue, is who becomes eligible for the playoffs. So right now, and as we have for years, the top 125 after the final event of the regular season are eligible and in for the playoffs. On the surface, that's very simple. In a year like this, it's not simple at all, right? The live guys who either resigned or did not resign from the PGA Tour have forced the PGA Tour to create a secondary eligibility list of 125 golfers who are not live golfers. Okay, good start. Well, the live guys are also filing for a restraining order, three of them are, to try to get into the playoffs. And if that happens, you can't kick out golfers 123, 124, and 125. They earn their way in based on the criteria that you gave them. So now what you have to do is you have to expand your playoffs to 128. Okay, that's fine. Fine. It's a, it's a, it's a system that you put in place and it's going to have weird quirks, especially in this year with lawyers getting involved. That's fine. The big problem is, barring Tom Kim winning the Wyndham Championship, he is not in the FedEx Cup playoffs. This is the same thing we saw with Will Zalatoris. Was it last year or the year before? Came back in 2020, 2021. Uh, might have been last year. You cannot have a scenario, if you are the PGA Tour, in which your rising star, who is getting hot at the right time, who is piling up all these great finishes, who will not participate in your playoffs. I get it. He's not a member. Just expand the field. Let him in. 126, 129. If you let him, you, there, there is just no, this is abhorrent to, to, to not let Tom Kim or when let, it, let him into the playoffs or not let Will Zaltoris in the playoffs the year that this happened to him. To put this into perspective, Tom Kim is ranked 34th in the world. He will not make the top 125 of the FedEx Cup playoffs. He is, if you look at his non-member points, which they calculate the same way as FedEx Cup points, he would be inside the top 100 of FedEx Cup points in like eight starts, and that does not count anything that he finishes up with at the Wyndham Championship. If he finishes second at the Wyndham Championship, he's going to move up like 30 spots in the non-member points list. Or no, he's going to be like on top of the non-members points list, and it would put him like 75th in the FedEx Cup standings if he were a member. He's done everything the same as everybody else. He's played in these events. He's earned the equivalent number of points. Just let him in. The thing is, uh, when Tom Kim, barring him winning the Wyndham Championship, 
when these playoffs start or when the, the season ends or whatever it is, that the moment that putt drops, he's going to be a tour member. He has already earned enough points to be a member next year. Yet, we can't find a way to let a young, exciting, scorching hot golfer get into the playoffs. There is a chance he's on the President's Cup team and did not get into the uh, Ryder Cup. Or excuse me, did not get into the FedEx Cup. A little crazy, right? Um, here's, here's my, here, it's a very simple scenario. If you earn enough points as a non-member to get into the top 125, you're in. Expand the top 125 to 130 or whatever. Because it only happens, the only situation in which you have to make an exception is when a guy is as good and as hot as Tom Kim or Will Zalatoris is. So it's, it's rare that it happens, but when it happens, you should be willing to make an exception for it. There are other issues with the FedEx Cup and the FedEx Cup playoffs. Um, I don't have enough hours in the month to define what I think other like marketing angles of this should be. But the PGA Tour is pumping all their money into this, or a lot of their money into this. Um, even from the point of calling it the FedEx Cup, you can't call it the FedEx Cup. No one will take it. It's a, that's a joke, right? Like I, You cannot have a corporately branded championship. Could you imagine if it was the FedEx finals and we said Steph Curry's got four FedEx championships? That would be insane. It would be insane. Is there any other sport that 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 does this? I can't imagine. Not off the top of my head. Um, to be taken seriously, you've got to start calling this your world championship, your tour championship. I don't care. You cannot have it branded. It can be presented by, presented by FedEx, just like the NBA finals are presented by YouTube TV, but we don't say Steph Curry has four YouTube TV championships. So we, we got to figure out a way to do this. The problem, and, and I know it sounds, it, it's bigger than it just sounds silly. Um, just no one takes it seriously, right? Especially when the names are constantly changing. That's why all these tournaments should not be the Wyndham Championship. It should be the Greensboro Open or the Greensboro Championship presented by whoever your sponsor is because your sponsor is changing all the time and there's no way to build a legacy which is what you're which is what you've argued your main defense against live is legacy and prestige you cannot argue you have legacy and prestige if you have a corporate brand in the name of your championships even your biggest championship call it the PGA Tour Cup presented by FedEx the only way to do it. All right. That ends my rant on the FedEx Cup playoffs. The other thing that I did was um, I tweeted out last night that I'd spend the last, you know, few minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes or so, answering some of these questions. Um, I've got, th this is the time of year where there, there seems to be a lot of questions. People are transitioning from kind of golf to football, but realizing that the swing season's going on and there's going to be a President's Cup and we're going to have these live events and there's, good, there's just a lot going on. So some of these are fun. Um, I'll, just, I'll just roll through a couple of these. So, so Chris Snow uh, asks, what non-data-based information would you wish you knew prior to every event? Uh, and he, he puts out a couple of options here. Whether a golfer has changed their style or their putting approach, whether they've gone through an equipment change, 
whether they've gone through a coaching or a swing change, whether they've been out partying or what their social schedule was like, up-to-date injury information, and if they're just in a good mood or not, essentially. Um, the one thing that I've always thought would be interesting is the open source whoop data. Just give me access to JT and everybody's whoop, right? I want to see how much sleep they got last night. I want to see what the recovery score is, right? I want to see what their uh, resting heart rate was, what, what time they went to bed, all that fun stuff. Uh, the real answer, I think, though, is maybe up-to-date injury information. You know, if we could give these guys truth serum and say, how's your back feel, right? How, how's your wrist doing? Do you think you'll be like, I, I think that would probably be the most valuable, especially if we were able to kind of ask that week in and week out and we got realistic um, injury or range reports that, that we could track from week to week, almost like, you know, the NFL or the NBA is required to disclose. That I think is, is something that um, I find fascinating. Hey, Rick, do your numbers show that overall putting has been worse without greens reading books this year? I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find out. The only problem with that is you can't just look at strokes gain data because strokes gained is um, tied to the average, right? And that baseline average, it's going to be different. So what you could look at in theory are, are guys making more five-footers? Are they making less five-footers? Are they making more or less 10-footers, 15-footers, 20-footers? And you can look at it year over year and see. So that's that's a project, but we're going to have to really be sharp on how we assess this. Uh, Joe asks, what's changed the most about the DFS golf gambling uh, since you started doing this, or what's maybe the most interesting change to you? It was pretty jarring with the first time they showed live, or they showed odds at all on the broadcast, Right? Just to be like, holy crap. And like the broadcast does very little. They do 1% of what they're what they're able to do. But that was like, oh my gosh, this is becoming much more interesting. I think when NBC tried to do the betcast, the fact that they invested money in that and tried it, now they haven't brought it back, but I thought that was interesting. Um there are now 400 people creating content on golf alone, which you know, even a year or two ago, I feel like I could have counted that on one hand or two hands. Uh, so just the sheer number of people that are that are interested, it feels like uh, it, it's it's actually creating a problem for the PGA Tour and it's creating a problem for networks where the influx of people who are interested in fantasy and, and gambling are skewing so much younger than their current demographic, right? The current demographic, I think, I think the the average age of of a of a PGA Tour viewer is like sixty two point five or something like that, and all of these people who are now flooding into the game are much much younger, are interested for completely different reasons, and it's putting the tour and networks in a real pickle, trying to figure out how to cater to two different types of demographics that are um, overlapping in very very little way, right? Like very little. Jared asks, if you could take one golfer back from Liv, who would it be? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess it would be Brooks, right? Like, Peak Brooks was an alpha. Peak, Peak Brooks was a, a champion. Peak Brooks just didn't care about anything. Uh, this version of Brooks is a little, <clears throat> a little sadder, right? Uh, I don't necessarily care about getting Bryson back. I don't care about getting DJ back or Answer or or Tease or Wolf or 
uh, Kevin Na or Jason Kokrak. I'm just kind of going off the top of my head here. But peak Brooks was awesome. And we don't we don't have that anymore. How about who uh, who wins first, Willie Z or Cam Young? Probably Cam Young. Cam Young is so Willie Z's best attributes come in the toughest fields, right? The fact that he's awesome at Tory, he's awesome at major championships. He's also going to run into the biggest fields. Cam Young can win at a lot of places, and he's going to get a lot weaker fields along the way which is probably making him much more likely to win. Uh, Sebastian asks, why no TPC Boston? Yeah, so they released the 2023 schedule. And what you'll note, it's very similar to this year's schedule. Um, the BMW Championships going back to Olympia Fields. There are a couple of spots that are being swapped, like the Rocket Mortgage is in a different spot. Um, the schedule is so fascinating because there's also not a lot of events held in major metros, which I know always gets people all riled up. Why are we not playing more events in New York City and Philadelphia and Boston and D.C. and Chicago? Now, some of these places have events close enough, but you have these major hubs of, you know, tens of millions of people that are not necessarily getting a PGA Tour event. And that's another issue of infrastructure, right? Are, are there golf courses in these areas that can handle the infrastructure of 30 to 100,000 people a day. I think in Bro at Brookline, which is a very claustrophobic little golf course that was built 100 years ago, right? Over 100 years ago, and there's nowhere to go in Boston. Um, I think they limited to 26,000 people a day. Is that what you want to? Like, you can get 26,000 and have the secondary market go crazy for tickets. This is actually part of, if I could just start all over, I would have less people at events. We would there there would not be um a Phoenix Open with 120,000 people a day. There'd be a Phoenix Open with like three hospitality areas of like 360 degree viewing and we would go to a lot more abandoned dunes and like Seminole and places that kind of we went and like Shadow Creek and places that we went to during COVID cuz no fans had to be there. Um, go back to those places regularly and showcase some of these amazing, um, amazing golf courses. Trevor asked, this is a good one. I, I, I marked this one. Any advice for someone who's been in a massive DFS slump? Uh, yeah. So actually someone replied and say, switch to showdown. That's actually a pretty, that's pretty good advice, right? It's, it's hard to vote like, like, Four days worth of action in which you're trying to predict is very, very difficult. Switching to showdown for a little bit gives you an opportunity to focus on one round. If it doesn't go well, move on. And it also gives you an opportunity to get more reps, right? What The, the sick part about betting on golf or fantasy golf is that um, you don't get a lot of reps throughout the year, right? If you bet every single PGA Tour event, it's like 47 events, and it's once a week. If you're uh, if you're betting on baseball and uh, golf or excuse me basketball, like you're getting every night, every night there's action for you, and you're able to just get many more reps. And with reps, you're able to kind of learn what's working, what's not working, was our our theories or were our hypotheses hypotheses proven correct? Were they proven incorrect? It gives you just an opportunity to do more reps, and showdown gives you an opportunity to just get more reps. Um, it's also why like single round betting is super 
advantageous for you in from like a learning experience because you get a Thursday hypothesis and a Thursday set of results and a Friday hypothesis and a, and a Friday set of results. So it ends up being, um, in my opinion, really advantageous to just kind of break it down into a little bit more of uh, some smaller segments. And then finally, there's a question that just says, how awesome is it to be you? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I get to do this for a living, which is pretty sick. Oh, this one's good too. How do sports books have live odds so perfectly? Uh, Matt says, I know there's a short delay for TV, but there's a lot of golf going on and live lines are so sharp. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think they're getting sharper, but I think there's still plenty of lag there. Uh, I think technically speaking, if you want like the actual answer, uh, there's an, there's a product I I think via IMG arena, which is the goal of getting, uh, sports books and the PGA tour data in like nearly real time. And if you go to an event, you'll see how far behind ShotLink actually is. Um, and if you're at an event, obviously, because you're getting it in real time, you are getting it faster than anybody else. And you can, I've seen guys post it up. It depends what state you're in and what offerings you have, but like post it up on like, hey, is this guy going to hit this green or not? Like what score is he going to make on this hole? And just like killing it. Um, because in real time, like you might, you might get access to something faster than everybody else does, obviously. But no, I still think there are a lot of ways in which you are like the live odd thing. Um, what the books I don't think are doing a good enough job of are showing are are taking into account what holes a golfer still has to play. So there's a lot of scenarios in which you look at it and say, okay, this guy's finishing on the front nine. He has five holes to play. Three of them are the easiest holes on the golf course, and one of them's a par five. And looking and saying, okay, well, he's currently five shots back, but if he plays these two even, just a just field average, he might make up a shot, a shot and a half there. And if he gains a shot over these four or five holes, he's now like one off the lead, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that I don't think the odds makers are taking into account for other than just like what's his current position and what's the current hole that he's on and what shot did he, did he just hit? So we can talk about that more in depth another time, but hopefully, um, hopefully that was helpful. So to recap, <laughs> some of these are just random questions. I'll ignore those. We'll do those another day. Um, we are entering what I think is a good, not great solution for the PGA tour to crown the best player of the year. They did a good job going from four events to three. They did a good job of going from points to staggered start. There are improvements to be made. And the good news is they can make them, right? There are some things that are not completely blowing up the system that will allow them to further crown the best player and have everybody be happy about it. My pitch is 216 holes. Cumulative. What's your pitch? Let me know. You can comment on the video version of this. You can tweet me at Rick Run Good. I'm interested in hearing all your hot takes for playoff events over the course of the next couple of weeks. Should be a blast. And then we will only have two weeks off before we start the new season. Shortest off season in all of sports comes from the world of golf. This has been another episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. Catch you next time.